Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Thanks for tuning in to episode 101 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom along with the rest of the crew. Our musical guests this month are some new neighbors, Rico Wayne Johnson and Dove Benoit, who form the core of the Brazilian Airs. We'll hear our interview with them and a few selections of their original music. We also have a collection of pieces from our regular contributors, Jim Eagleman, Pam Rader, Tim Tryon, and yours truly, Dave Seastrom. We're also sharing a person on the street report recorded live from the Brown County Solidarity Rally. Hello folks, this is Rick. Remember when you were a kid and all your friends and neighbors were all around you? And then a new family moves in? Uh-oh, who are they? What are they like? Then they turn out to be great and they turn out to be your best friends ever. Well, I'd like to introduce a new couple to our neighborhood who recently bought a place near Camp Palawapec. Dove Benoit and Rico Wayne Johnson. We fastly became friends. They are the Brazilian heirs, and I think you'll find their music delightful. pleasure to introduce Rico Wayne Johnson and Dove Benoit, who uh, together are the core of the Brazilian Airs. So welcome to the studio. So glad to have you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, I've been looking into your background, and aside from being just about everywhere uh, on the entire planet, <laughs> and having spent the last few years in Nashville, big Nashville, now here you are in little Nashville, Brown County. And you were sharing some of your family history and how you came to be here. I mean, your father brought you over from Peoria, right? Yes, that's correct. So my grandfather's from here. Right. And uh, we go back, I think we're, they were like the first European settlers in Brown County. Yeah, so this area is always special to me. As a kid, I would come here with my dad and my family. And a few years ago, I started bringing Dove here. And we would come here and rent a cabin and write music and I basically just said you know what I really feel like we need to have a permanent place to come mm -hmm. and be creative mm -hmm. because it's such a special place here in Brown County 
Well, we agree with that. And now you've made this commitment. You bought a place and you're rebuilding it and you're going through all the effort. I mean, that's classic Brown County. That's right, yeah. So what goes around comes around, and here you are all these generations later uh, establishing yourself in the old home turf, huh? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Well, your music is really cool, and I can't tell you how much I enjoyed um, the sampling I was able to get off of the Internet. You know, there's just something about Latin jazz that's just so core in the drums and the music and the harmonies. And, and Dove, your voice is outstanding, and I love the two of yours harmonies. I mean, it's just really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So, uh, gosh, I mean, you work with symphony orchestras. <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh it's been a, a, a recent development, but we, a beautiful, exciting thing for us. We're, as you said, a Latin-based band, jazzy with some pop uh, mm-hmm. involved. And we working with a an orchestrator in Chicago. We've orchestrated our music for symphony now. So our little pop tunes have become arranged for 50 symphonic instruments. That's, it, that's crazy. It didn't start that way, though. Mm-hmm. You know, we started, gosh, back in 2012 with just four pieces. Okay. Um, and... This tiny, tiny little place um, where I literally had like a step this wide. It's about, I don't know, eight inches wide to stand on. For the radio audience. Right. (laughs) And this little cocktail drum kit. And we really didn't know how it would fly because I think that in these types of places, it was like a little bar. It was a lounge. Lounge Mm -hmm. kind of place. You know, usually you hear the typical blues and rock and kind of thing. And we, we weren't really certain how people would accept it in the Midwest. This was up in Peoria, Illinois. And they loved it. Yeah. And the crowd started coming and then we started getting all these musicians coming and wanting to sit in and play with us. And it was just really, you know, I had to like pinch myself, like, is this really for real? And over the years, it just has grown and grown and grown. And and we feel very blessed that that's happened uh, to the point of then being approached by the symphony saying, you know, we'd love to have you guys perform with us. So that's amazing. So did someone in the orchestra, were they familiar with your music? How did that? Well, the the maestro, uh, George Deluto, basically took a liking to our, our band, okay. loved the sound of our band, and asked us if we had arrangements for orchestra. So then he connected us with uh, an orchestrator in Chicago that arranged our music for orchestra. Well, as far as I can tell, you've had two performances? That's right, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Working and in your more. hometown, yeah. Peoria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct, yeah. And then we have some other symphonies now that are interested in us. Of course, uh, with the pandemic hitting, things have kind of been put on hold, but we're hoping that uh, when this breaks, we're going to continue down that road as well. Well, this is Rick. I'd have to say it would be hard to listen to your CD and not walk away happier. <laughs> it's just that's nice music. So how did you decide on that format? Obviously, you're talented and know how to work your way up and down the neck of a guitar. You yeah. So led you that direction? I went to L.A. and you know tried to be the rock star like uh, a lot of people in my generation. And then uh, while I was out there, I, I went to a, a guitar school called GIT. Guitar Institute of Technology, kind of a renowned school for yeah, jazz right. and rock players. And at that time, I met uh, a room. I had a roommate from Brazil, Mauricio, and he turned me, really turned me on, introduced me to, to Brazilian music. Yeah. So then planted that seed. I started building this repertoire, and I came back to Illinois. And not too much later, I had met Dove and decided to put this this Latin project together. Yeah. So you yeah. haven't actually lived in Brazil. No, and she she's been to Brazil, but I've never have. Uh huh. No, and we both speak pretty fluent Spanish, and our 
Portuguese is, I would say, intermediate. Because of the Spanish. Yeah, they're very similar, yeah. Yeah. Well, how did that come about? Well, when you're born in California, which I was, (laughs) then Spanish is sort of something that you learn by school and or people you associate with. I mean, I took Spanish in elementary school because it's very common in California to have that offered, thankfully. And then I lived with... Ruby Trejo, she was my Mexican roommate, and her parents did not speak any English. And so I just spoke Spanish for two years while I lived with her, essentially. And you learn quick that way. Yeah. And then him being in L.A., and and he actually used to, on a side gig, work with a mariachi band. Well, it was a mariachi, but it was a Mexican band. Okay. And so you learn quickly because you have to. And the, the people and the language and the culture is so beautiful. Latin cultures are just so warm. You say, you know, it makes you happy. And that's the whole, I mean, it's really hard to listen to a lot of Latin-based music and not feel happy. Now, sometimes you don't understand what they're saying, and they could be singing about something terribly sad, but it's still, the music music (laughs) just is very moving. Um, You're spared the grisly details from lack of understanding. Right, although I'm telling you, some of the, the... poetry in that music is amazing Mm, and i really always encourage people to go out and listen and learn and because it's really phenomenal actually well there's bells and whistles and flutes Mm -hmm. and maybe piccolo i thought i heard something higher yeah trumpets Mm -hmm. and maybe cornets Mm -hmm. or else a muted trumpet or something yeah rico how much of those instruments do you play i mean i've seen you well i play the guitar primarily and piano Saw you with a ukulele. I play, yeah. That was actually a cavaquinho, which is a Brazilian mm-hmm. instrument. Yeah. Okay. If you're ever listening to really classic samba stuff, it has cavaquinho in it. Yeah, all the street musicians uh, in, in Rio de Janeiro use yeah. cavaquinho.
So well, this CD, um, how did you put all yeah. that together to get to pull the whole thing off? We've been using various studios. Uh, the studios up in Illinois, we used uh, Eric Nelson. Eric Nelson. Eclipse. Yeah, yeah, Eclipse Studio. And then we, in Nashville, we've connected with some wonderful players in studios there as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a pop songwriter. And most of our stuff is in English, although we do have spatterings of mm. Spanish and Portuguese in it, just, I guess, maybe for a little fun and flavor and authenticity. So I love to paint in the studio. And I, I do most of the producing myself. Although one of our recent tracks is with a guy in Nashville, Keith Jones, who's a bassist that's played with Carlos Santana, Jean-Luc Ponte, just a whole slew of players. And he's uh, co-produced one of our tracks. So we're really excited about um, yeah, some of our new stuff. Yeah. And we were fortunate enough, like I said, yeah. these, these guys wanted to play with us, I think, just because it's not music you hear often. And so a lot of the players on the CD are these really top jazz musicians in Illinois. Many are professors at the universities, and we're, we're blessed to have them as a part of our, nice. our group. Mm-hmm. I call them the A-team. Nice. Because they're, they're our guys. So, so on uh, your CD... You all both look very nice. So when you perform, do you get dressed up to we do. be on stage and yeah. do something like that? <laughs> yeah. I prefer you like the hat, by Well, you know, I think yeah. that that was, I mean, he is the producer. Rico is definitely a producer, and he knows, in his head, he just, he has it already how it should look. And he knew from the get-go to set us apart and to really mm-hmm. create something people would want to come see. It wasn't just about the music. It was also about yeah. a visual. Yeah, yeah. And so we've always been about not only creating music that people enjoy listening to, but putting on a show that people like to see and yeah, watch yeah, and yeah. be entertained by. And that's been a real cardinal feature of what we do is we put on a show. I, I mean, imagine. we have a horn section and and they have their thing that they do and yeah. i mean it's um i think that many of our fans would tell you that it's yes it's the music but it's also just watching us perform mm-hmm. presentation mm-hmm. i mean that that's that's really an important and it, you know in a total package if you are going to be entertained right mm-hmm. I would imagine half of your audience is up dancing the whole time you play. They love to dance. Yeah. Uh, and you know what's cool is the, the the fusion of demographics because when you look out at our fan base, you'll see all races and types. Ages. Yeah. Ages yeah. and everything. It just Yeah. So it's, it's a really nice thing. You know, I will say, though, that the production is great, the bit, you know, with the horn section and everything. But sometimes I just love to pick up the guitar in someone's living room and have her sing. Right. Yeah. So we like to break it down. We call it the sofa set. Yeah. yeah. The sofa set. Well, that, 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 I like what you did uh, when I met you. You came into the open mic at the Brown County mm-hmm. Inn and you did a little thing together and it was very nice, I'll Thank tell you. you. Well, where to from here? Well, we're working on our second album and we've been working for about a year and a half on this thing and we've got about eight, nine tracks done. And the last couple of months uh, up here in Brown County, we've been writing some new material. So I'm really excited about going down to Nashville, Tennessee to record some of the new songs we've been writing here. Uh, so you still have your connects down there. Yeah, we do. you do. keep a place down there as we well? We do, yeah, yeah. So you move back and forth. 
We do. We're here, especially the last few months, more so. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say our corona factor is probably a little less than big Nashville. But. It is. It so is. do you ever get, like, Nashville confusion? I mean, which it's Nashville con- am I mean, it I happens. In? It's I'm like, so confusing. Yeah. People are like, where are you going? <laughs> Nashville? But you're in Nashville. Yeah. 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 So My we, mom cannot keep track of where we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a huge problem. Right. But then she also realizes that, because she's, she's in her 70s, she said, but then I also can never be wrong. There you go. So she likes it. (laughs) Uh, All I can say is welcome aboard to Brown County's Nashville. Thank Uh, you. We're really excited about being here. You're our new neighbors, and we love it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, the people we met here, and and i got to be honest, you know, we've been out, we've met some of the musicians here. They've been just fantastic. They've been great players. They've been... The vibe has been wonderful, yeah. and um, we have a really hot music scene that, mm-hmm. sadly, is all treading water right now because of the virus. Absolutely. But yeah. once it gets rolling again, you'll be right at home. So, do you have a Facebook page, a website, uh, some way we can access your music? All of the above. Our website is thebrazilianairs.com, and let me spell that because it's confusing. <laughs> um, the and then it's B R A Z I L. I-O-N-A-I-R-E-S. Okay. Will there be a test? It's Brazilianaires, like billionaires, but with Brazil and only one L because there's only one lady in the band. (laughs) 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 My whole band is like my brothers, and I'm thankful for that. And then you can find us on Facebook under the same name, the Brazilianaires. We're on Instagram as well. We have a YouTube channel. Um, And and also you can find us on all streaming sites as well. Uh So they can find us, obviously, on Spotify and Pandora, Pandora, Apple Music. Well, it sounds like you're well represented. And um, all I can say to our listeners is be sure to check these people out we'd be happy to meet all of you she touches up each photograph and posts them one by one and smiles at the way the filters make her look so young she's when she walks into a room and loves the way the heads turn when they smell a French perfume. Several heartaches 
she gave up on love. So fake and pretentious, she's turned out to be. There's nothing more important than her vanity. Popularity to her that matters most. But how the fact that girl is so Pam Rader with another stay-at-home rant on the Times. Limbo, loosely defined as an intermediate, indeterminate state. The administration was determined to open up in spite of expert advice. In the media, we've been told science is just an opinion and all opinions have the same weight. Thus, when addressing the issue of sending children back to school, we were told not to let science stand in the way. And to hide the possible effects, the statistics will no longer be available through the CDC, but go directly to the White House. Just as predicted, states were forced to close again and mask wearing reordered. A phony debate about freedom and individual rights regarding mask wearing has erupted, fueled by media misinformation. Our graph differs from other nations who went up and substantially down before reopening. Ours started down only to rise to greater heights. We are number one for sure, with 4% of the world's population and 25% of the cases and deaths. Since we have made the first wave worse, how does this position us to face a second wave? History repeats. We could draw parallels to the 1918 Spanish flu or 1929 Great Depression or 1968 race riots, or are we facing something worse? Each day brings a new shock. Just when you think it can't get worse, it does. We are kept constantly off guard asking which fire to put out first. Amidst all the chaos and unrest we have forgotten, a greater threat looms, climate disaster. It was over a hundred degrees in Siberia, hotter than Florida, and Death Valley registered 125. While some semblance of normalcy exists, we need to prepare for a possible longer stay at home. 
I remain shocked by the flood of tourists in town who don't mask or social distance. Meanwhile, the recycle center and Goodwill are back open, and I'm finally purging what I sorted through during the lockdown. I felt forced to upgrade to a new cell phone, which was free if I got a new number. Now I'm in limbo over how to transfer my contact list from such an old phone and may have to enter them manually. For now, I have two phones running. There is turmoil here at home also in the midst of repainting and re-roofing the house. The elections are creeping up on us. The primaries already proved a disaster in most states. A neighbor reports he's no longer registered to vote despite not missing an election. Kids will enter school without increased testing and other precautions, ensuring an uptick in virus cases. Since they continue to gut the post office, we are told that vote by mail is not an option. Never mind that the president and the overseas military, as well as 25% of Americans, vote that way now. The guy in the White House has no intention of leaving. Questions remain. Will we be able to vote, or will there be martial law already being incited in Portland? Will our vote count, or will it be declared uncertifiable? thereby invoking the Twelfth Amendment and another selected presidency so much in limbo. No one knows if or when this will be over. Our behavior is being altered, and we are so divided. During the last few years, while we were distracted working, we overlooked the growing gap between our ideals and our reality and how much was slowly being eroded. There's another definition of the word limbo. Remember that party game we used to play and we all yelled, How low can you go? This is Pam Rader for the Brown County Hour. Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Coming up, we hear more from the Brazilianaires. Earlier, you heard two soon-to-be-released tracks, Morning Coffee and The Popularity of Paula. Next, you will hear Venetian Blinds and Blue October, both from their album, Algo Diferente. After that, Jim Eagleman builds a deck, Pam Rader has interviews from the Solidarity Rally, Jeff Tryon talks about some dark Indiana history, and Dave Seastrom is certain that nothing is normal this summer.
To the DIYers, the home repair person, even those marginally adept at fixing things, these COVID days of home isolation can present the opportunity to tackle projects. It can also allow some unusual observations. First off, lumber shortages have occurred at nearly all my favorite big box stores, requiring a call to some smaller and distant hardware stores like us, and I'm lucky to have all three of our sons now home visiting. Many homeowners are fixing things, with my son's home, it was time to use their energy and skills. We recently took on the rebuilding of a back porch deck and soon found that we would run short of boards. The original order of lumber was short, knowing we had to relocate more. But when I called around, all stores were very low and new shipments unknown. It made me think of the first response with COVID when toilet paper supplies ran short and shelves were empty. My sons are all now grown men with their own families, and yet they agreed to spend a few days with me, helping me on this project. While Kay was visiting her mother, it was a perfect time to rekindle memories with them, work on a common goal, and finally to address some rotting timbers and bad flooring on the deck. But before hanging up, she threw out a warning. Just try and have everybody get along, she said. Don't do so much arguing. Ha! She must have heard us working together before. And she knows our differences of an opinion and how we do things and that this would create more than just a regular discussion among us. 
I chose to defer to my middle son, Eric, a bicycle and product designer who would suggest a plan. Luckily, the other two, Carl, our oldest, and Kurt, the youngest, also knew Eric's skills and decided to concentrate on dismantling the old deck and preparing for the new install. I found I was better at meal and drink preparation, adding favorable and encouraging comments along the way, and offering an occasional Band-Aid. Dad, what bird is that? Kurt asked during a water break. All three looked up into the trees for a call, fairly close and loud. Ah, Carolina, I replied, busy with something and not thinking they didn't know what a Carolina was. They looked puzzled. Wren, I mean Carolina Wren. Oh, and then they nodded, continued looking, talking to each other and drinking their water. The fact that my sons are interested in birds didn't surprise me. We fed birds all the time they were young and still at home. Occasionally, they did a nature report for school and seemed to always choose birds. I'm glad that despite their own careers far removed from conservation and nature, they still appreciate it and value natural areas. I never encouraged them while growing up to choose a career in natural resources, but we always did things together outside. And with their involvement in scouts, their own hobbies like mountain biking and water skiing and camping, and now having their own kids enjoy the outdoors, well, it has proven to me that, yes, they value conservation. So, Dad, the Inquisition wasn't over. I could see. What do you consider your most important contribution to society? Asked Carl. I mean, in your 40 years as a DNR naturalist. The other two looked bewildered. They may have known, but forgot I had worked that long. Wow, said Kurt. Yeah, what good did you do? The question a bit more direct. I chuckled and wondered how to answer. I guess I just made people slow down and see things, I said. That may have been the best thing to do. Thinking of the thousands who attended my programs over the years, my hikes, special events, and talks at the park, it really isn't that impressive to think it made a difference. But maybe it did, I said. We worked together, resting ever so often due to the heat and keeping the water bottles nearby. Shouldn't we all be wearing masks? asked Kurt. I had mine in my pocket, but hesitated to put it on regularly since it was so hot and tough enough to breathe without it. We worked till supper, maintaining social distance. Beers were brought out, and we looked at the job done so far. I was pleased and told them so. You realize I could not have done this on my own, I said. Cleaning up for the day, Kurt paused. He said, Dad, I like the way we always knew you knew about stuff. Trees and birds and nature. Sometimes it sounded like a lecture, but luckily you kept it short. I guess you knew we'd like that stuff. I must have met thousands and thousands of school kids on their field trips to the park over the years. I always refer to the kids as the young conservation leaders of tomorrow. The teachers may have had another opinion about them, but yeah, they knew they would be the ones to take over, take care of the earth, live on the earth, live with other things. Working with my sons was a real joy and one I will always remember. And even the things we said under the trees, birds singing, a slight breeze to cool our sweaty heads. Beers were held high. Here's to Dad. This is Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings, WFHB-FM Radio, the Brown County Hour, the audio portion provided by Nature in our annual Cicada Chorus. Thanks for listening. It wasn't the first or last abuse of an innocent black person. 
But the death of George Floyd was a shock heard round the world, unleashing a flood of protests. Thanks to several young people in our community, a solidarity rally made its way to our little burg of Nashville, Indiana on June 20th. These young people, namely Molly Austin, Grace Richardson, Bailey Baker, Jessica George, Jezeree Emberton, and Casey Stouffer, worked closely with town officials and local law enforcement. They wanted to make sure Nashville was seen as a welcoming place. Although the rally turned out to be a peaceful event, rumors and threats posted online beforehand led many to expect otherwise. Remember, this was directly after rioting in other cities, including Indianapolis. To protect against that happening, police from Martinsville and the National Guard were also asked to be in attendance. I happened on a group of black-clad, gun-toting guys who, it turned out, were there to protect the speakers and attendees. It was a hot and humid day. We were mass in keeping our distance. Several members of our radio team were there to capture the speeches and the voices in the street. It was great to see my friends stand in solidarity with those calling for change in the face of injustice and to capture the event for our audience. We could not include all the recording for this show, but here are some excerpts. This is Pam Rader for the Brown County Hour. Well, I'm just here to exercise Second Amendment, First Amendment right, keep the peace between everything and... What, you know, watch you all and all that, so. Okay, thank you. Why'd you show up today? Because Black Lives Matter, and we want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want people to know that Brown County and Nashville want equal justice uh, for everyone. Minorities should have the rights we've all enjoyed for a long, long time. I just feel like 400 years of, of white privilege is enough, you know, and uh, 400 years as of last year, and now it's time to move on. So I want to see laws change that uh, change the way policing is done, and I want to see laws change that allow more opportunity for minorities. I showed up because I'm so tired of seeing uh, injustice in, in the police force and the band-aids that they're offering now are nothing compared to what needs to be done. I think that it's important for white communities like ours to support in solidarity with the people that are being oppressed and I especially appreciate that this was put on by young people and I think that's such an encouraging thing to know that they're getting involved. It's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful event for Brown County and our community to show solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Uh, every little bit that we can do as our small community is, um, we should be doing. I showed up because I live in a county where we need to address these issues that are being brought forth and to help promote the idea of restorative justice instead of just retributive justice. 
not just who's guilty, who to blame, what are the the rules, not the legislative side, but the heartfelt side and the side that involves uh, changing ourselves on a cultural and social level. I think that's what will bring about the greatest society changes. Our friend Jeff Tryon is a thinking man who from time to time brings us a pithy piece that we're not sure what to do with. This month's essay on the history of the KKK in Indiana is a wonderful example. Our coverage of the Solidarity Rally that took place in Nashville gave us the perfect context to offer this piece, and it's our pleasure to share it with you. Forgetting the Ku Klux Klan, or why the images from Charlottesville upset me so. In our current political climate, it seems that sudden and major political change is possible. So let us now remind ourselves that Indiana, the state where we live, that reliably read heart of Nixonland, wingnut paradise, is prone to a certain variety of political nonsense which we may now see repeating itself. Back in the 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan ran Indiana, and I don't mean they ran it from some smoky back room. I mean they were marching down the streets in their robes and burning their crosses and doing their whole pointy-headed idiot thing out loud and proud, as our queer friends would say today. So it behooves us to remember to never forget that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty and that we must forever be protecting the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Southern Indiana had already had significant vigilante activity dating back to the Civil War area among groups of so-called white caps or white cappers. And you may have heard stories or read accounts of the white caps in early Brown County history and the infamous white capper road that cut across the northern tier of the county. In the old stories, these night-riding vigilantes are seen protecting abused women and punishing lazy and good-for-nothing men. We don't really think of them as the Klan. This is how propaganda works. The Klan sold themselves as a fraternal society and brotherhood, organized for civic activism to help the poor and defend morality. Of course, the KKK was strongly white supremacist, as well as anti-Semitic and anti-Catholic. It also opposed immigration from Southern and Eastern Europe. So were a lot of people in Indiana and Brown County in the 20s. At the height of its powers in the 1920s, the Klan in Indiana had over 250,000 members, which was over 30% of the state's white male population. In 1925, over half the elected members of the Indiana General Assembly, the governor of Indiana, and many other high-ranking officials in local and state government were card-carrying members of the Ku Klux Klan. The sleazy snake at the head of this pack of rats and finks was one D.C. Stevenson, a bullying snake oil salesman who had already married and abandoned two wives before he settled in Evansville in 1920 to help the poor and defend morality. Stevenson built the Klan up to a major power in the state, led its separation from the national organization, and changed his political affiliation from the Democratic Party to the Republican. With his large membership, the Klan became influential in Indiana politics. A public endorsement from the Klan leadership could practically guarantee victory at the polls. This led many Indiana politicians at all levels of government to join the Klan in order to gain their support. The Klan became so powerful and Stevenson so influential that by 1925 he began to brag, saying, I am the law in Indiana. 
Klansmen in the Indiana General Assembly passed a bill in 1922 that created a Klan Day at the Indiana State Fair, complete with a nighttime cross-burning. Edward L. Jackson, a Klan member who had been elected Secretary of State, granted the Klan a state charter. Klan membership was highest in cities in the center of the state. Indianapolis was almost completely controlled by the Ku Klux Klan. Street fights regularly occurred in Indianapolis between Klan members and minority groups. The Klan's main target in those years was Catholics. The KKK alleged that Catholics were behind secret plots to overthrow the government and exterminate Protestants. Immigrants, Jews, and to a lesser extent blacks were also targets. You see, it doesn't really matter who the them is, as long as you can get people to fearing and hating them. It might as well be Muslims or Mexicans. With more than 50,000 dues-paying members in Indianapolis, the Klan had access to tens of millions of dollars. Some of these funds went to social causes, but millions were also poured into bribing public officials, paying off enemies, purchasing weapons, and contributing to political campaigns. In 1925, Stevenson was charged and convicted for the rape and murder of a young schoolteacher. His disgraceful behavior caused a sharp drop in Klan membership, which decreased further when he exposed secret deals to the press and revealed the Klan's bribery of public officials. The Stevenson rape case and bribery scandal destroyed the Klan's image as defenders of women and justice. Members abandoned the organization by the tens of thousands. The Klan was finished in Indiana. Hoosiers don't like to remember this period, but it happened here, and it can't be ignored. By the same token, we should remember that many people and organizations opposed the Klan, even at the height of its political popularity. You know, Hitler and Mussolini both rose to political power on the basis of a non-majority of violent people who were willing to bend the rules and appeal to people's worst instincts in order to seize political power. Let's not forget, they each destroyed their respective nations. Was it the philosopher Edmund Wilson who said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for enough good men to do nothing? What are we going to do? What are we going to do about these miserable, ignorant creeps, our fellow citizens? Because they're going to have to be dealt with sooner or later. If we keep doing nothing, do we risk letting evil get the upper hand? Now is the time for every patriot to speak up in defense of the true core principles of the American Revolution, that all people are created equal, and that we're given by our creator, not by the government, certain permanent rights which cannot legally be taken away, including, but not limited to, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that love always triumphs over hatred in the end, because all that hatred can do is tear down, but only love has the sole power to build up. Tearing down is easy. Violence is easy. Building a beloved community takes time and it takes work. We'll have to listen to one another and work together when we can. It's not an easy road. The only thing that ever works against these kinds of evil powers and wicked principalities is to educate and organize organize and educate. We have to move forward from outdated and obsolete ideas of race and culture. That's probably going to be hard. We have to move forward 
from outdated and obsolete ideas of national exceptionalism, that somehow being born here makes us better than human beings born somewhere else. That isn't right. That can't be right. This is why the images from Charlottesville upset me so. Because it is the doom of human beings that they forget. They forget. In Brown County, it's high summer. The kids are getting ready for school, and the tourists continue flocking into Nashville. On the surface, everything seems normal. But as the cases of COVID-19 continue to increase in Indiana, this summer has proved to be anything but normal. While the town council in Nashville waffled back and forth on the same topic, our governor ordered everyone in the state to wear a mask. And he even added some teeth to this executive order by making it a misdemeanor not to comply. Then a visit from the vice president changed his mind and he removed the criminal penalty. In response to the increasing virus cases, the Indiana Department of Health offered free COVID-19 tests at the Brown County Music Center. And for the first time since the pandemic broke out, we'll have an accurate idea of how many cases we really have here. We've seen several articles in the papers that inform us the number of reported cases in Indiana are inaccurately low. This begs the question, when the real numbers are known, will the governor have to revise his plan and will all be sent back to purgatory? Just about all of the summer activities have been canceled or made into virtual events. Just to name a few, the county fair, the outhouse race, the Betty Begonia upscale tag sale, and the cabin tour have all been canceled this year. On the upside, some of the outside music venues have opened with social distancing, and the Brown County Playhouse and the Music Center are hosting a few events with limited seating. Fortunately, the farmer's market at the Brown County Inn will continue their Sunday sales, and the local restaurants are open, if you are brave enough to share a meal with strangers. These are confusing times, and I think it's fair to say most of us don't have a clue what's going on or what we're required to do or not do. Now, as I understand it, we're required to wear masks, but without any penalties. Is this mandate merely a suggestion? I've read that mask wearing compliance will be treated as an educational opportunity. This seems curious because most of us have decided that wearing a mask saves lives, and those who refuse to wear a mask see this choice as their constitutional right. So who will receive the education? The kids are required to go to school. That is, unless their parents opt out and choose to homeschool their kids instead. And there's an online program for those who feel more comfortable with that option. Sadly, it looks like sports programs are canceled altogether, and I assume that goes for other extracurricular activities as well. However, there are some good things going on in spite of the virus. For the first time ever, Brown County hosted a rally for racial equality that went off without a hitch. The day was hot, but tempers remained cool, and many heartfelt testaments to the need for equality were shared. There were divergent groups present and lots of discussions, but everyone wore a mask and the participants were respectful to each other. In a big way, the folks in Brown County behaved just like we hoped we would. The pools might be closed, but the swimming holes are seeing some action. Some of these ponds and lakes feature clothing-optional swimming. 
but it's always best to follow local protocols before you decide to swim buck naked. We've had plenty of rains, and the gardens of Brown County are flourishing in high season. We're enjoying the fruits of our labor. That includes, amongst other things, beans, sweet corn, squash, and tomatoes. It might be argued that even in the worst of times, if you have a garden, you have everything you need. So yes, the world is in turmoil. Protests and riots are in the news, and depending on how things go, we may all be quarantined again. There are forces at work that we can't do anything about, but what we can control is our attitude. The choice to wear a mask is a way of saying that you care for others in this time of uncertainty. And even if the government drops the ball, we're still in this together. And now is the time to show it. For the most part, life in Brown County remains the same. The critters in the forest don't care what the humans are up to. The sun continues to shine. The rain continues to fall. And we have a new visitor in the night sky, Comet Neowise. There's no telling what this celestial visitor portends. And my crystal ball isn't saying much. But I have faith that, for better or worse, we'll muddle through, and there will be better days ahead, if we all behave. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Winter seems the time to go, leaving footprints in the snow.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 101 of the Brown County Hour, recorded remotely and in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now, more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Oh